The Brain of the Male Thylacine From the paper on the Pouch and Brain of the Male Thylacine by Frank E. Bedford, M.A. Prosector to the Society From the Proceedings of the Zoological Society of London, 1891 Received January the 31st, 1891 On the fifth day of February of last year, the male thylacine which was purchased by the Society in 1884 died. Its death gave me the opportunity of noting a few points in the structure which have not been as yet described and figured, or have been only briefly and incompletely dealt with. The Brain In order to injure the skull as little as possible, the brain was extracted in two halves, the skull having been sawn through the median vertical longitudinal plane. The brain was hardened in alcohol, and had a curious yellow colour, not always seen in brains so prepared. The brains of a kangaroo and a wallaby, which I had prepared for comparison with that of the thylacine, were white. On the other hand, the brain of a sloth, also preserved in alcohol, showed the same brownish-yellow tint. The total length of the brain, measured from the end of the cerebellum to the anterior extremity of the olfactory lobe, was 76 millimetres. Greatest length of cerebral hemispheres, 48 millimetres. Greatest height of cerebral hemispheres, 26 millimetres. These measurements refer in all cases to the hardened brain. The only descriptions of the thylacine brain with which I am acquainted are contained in Professor Flower's memoir upon the marsupial brain, that by Gervis, and that by Sir Richard Owen in Anatomy of Vertebrates. Professor Flower figures the internal aspect of a longitudinal median section, as well as a transverse section through the corpus callosum. His description of the brain is limited to the following passage in his paper, page 646. The large carnivorous marsupial, the thylacine, Thylacinus sinocephalus, so widely separated in external characters from both the kangaroo and wombat, shows the same general peculiarities of cerebral organization, but attended with the smaller development of the superior transverse commissure, especially of its anterior part, and a greater reduction of the thickness of the interventricular septum. Sir Richard Owen remarks that thylacinus has the anterior apex of the hemisphere marked off by a deeper transverse fissure, extending to the inner surface, and that there is a short fissure above the back part of the hippocampal one. He does not, however, refer to any fuller description of this brain, but only to Professor Flower's paper already cited, and to a paper by himself, which contains no description or figures of the thylacine's brain. Gervis's description is not taken from the actual brain, but from a cast of the interior of the skull, which is figured from above. He writes, The principal peculiarities presented by this cast consist in the preponderance of the posterior lobule of the hemispheres over the anterior, and in consequence of this peculiarity, in the forward position of the sylvian fissure. The anterior lobule is besides more compressed than in other marsupials, and we have already seen in that fact a means of removing thylacolio from thylacinus in classification. 
in the last mentioned form the olfactory lobules are borne by a strong peduncle and they project notably beyond the anterior border of the hemispheres as regards the hemispheres themselves it appears that they are not without convolutions it is easy to distinguish one around the sylvian fissure and there is a marked transverse depression nearly median although laterally it tends towards the posterior boundary it marks the line of division between the two lobes and may be considered as representing the fissure of rolando an anterior depression corresponds to the crucial sulcus and there are traces of convolutions in the part which forms the posterior lobule since the thylacine is an animal which is getting scarcer i have thought that an attempt at a fuller description of the brain than is to be found in the memoir cited might be acceptable particularly if illustrated sufficiently the press of other work unfortunately prevented me from studying the brain in the fresh condition which would have been very desirable professor huxley points out what erroneous conclusions may be reached by drawing inferences from the preserved brain only but i am inclined to think that he has a little exaggerated the danger which is incurred from this proceeding at any rate i can find no such alteration in the direction of the fissures in the brain of a kangaroo which i sketched before and after preservation in alcohol it is noticeable that the brains figured by professor huxley in which an alteration is to be observed are of different sexes though of about the same size with brains prepared as carefully as they are in my laboratory the danger of alteration is reduced to a minimum in the brain when viewed from above the cerebral hemispheres as in other marsupials do not only overlap the cerebellum but they only just reach it they come nearer however than in the wallaby halmaturus benetti or in the koala vascularctus according to mr w a forbes or in the opossum according to owen this coupled with the divergence of the two hemispheres posteriorly leaves the corpora quadrigemina partially exposed the degree to which the corpora quadrigemina are exposed is about the same as in the kangaroo but considerably less than in the wallaby or opossum or for the matter of that in the rodent dolichotis the brain of which i propose to describe later the cerebral hemispheres are not greatly convoluted judging from owen's figures of the opossum and the dasurus ursinus there is a progressive complication of the folds in passing from the smaller to the larger forms such as is often seen among mammals the thylacine which is the largest animal has the greatest development of furrows of the three nevertheless the brain of this marsupial is much smoother than that of a kangaroo of about the same size sir richard owen's figure of the dacier brain is a little indistinct i am not therefore able to compare it with the thylacine very accurately as compared with the kangaroo the sulci are less numerous and often shallower in the kangaroo's brain the sylvian fissure is deep and the convolutions are arranged in a series of arches round and above this fissure as in the carnivora the arched arrangement is perhaps not so plain as in the carnivora and there are only two arches in the thylacine such an arrangement of the gyri could not be made out the principal furrows passing obliquely so as to divide the brain into three unequal segments 
the furrow separating the hemispheres proper from the olfactory portion the hippocampal gyrus is well marked and as usual is bent upwards at about the middle of its course but the angle formed is not so acute as in macropus from the highest point of this bend arises the sylvian fissure which passes nearly vertically upwards and is about half an inch in length on one side of the brain the sylvian fissure could be followed as a very shallow groove into the posterior of the two principal sulci on a dorsal view the hemispheres are seen to be divided into three unequally sized areas by two furrows running obliquely and approximately parallel to each other the posterior fissure reaches the middle line of the brain twenty nine millimetres in front of its posterior boundary that is nineteen millimetres behind anterior boundary of hemispheres on the left side of the brain this fissure runs parallel with the rhinal fissure the commencement only is shown in jervis's figure near to its posterior termination it gives off a short descending fissure which does not reach the rhinal fissure but stops short about a quarter of an inch in front of it on the right hemisphere this fissure is slightly different as will be seen from a comparison of figures two and three and the indentations of the posterior lobe are a little better marked the second furrow is continuous with the rhinal furrow just in front of the sylvian fissure its course is much the same on both sides of the body the anterior lobe of the brain cut off by this fissure is u-shaped a longitudinally running furrow nearly dividing it into two sir william turner remarks that the configuration of the brain and the pattern of the convolutions have followed in each order a process of evolution characteristic of the order the arrangement of the convolutions does not follow the same plan in the various orders hence in the comparison of the brains of mammals with each other diversities often are recognized which make it impossible to determine the presence of precisely homologous fissures and convolutions in the whole series of the gyrencephala it appears to me that this statement might also be extended in the case of the marsupials to a single order it is extremely difficult to compare the convolutions of the brain of thylacinus with those of the brain of macropus the points which they have in common are one the strongly marked and continuous rhinal fissure but this is found in most mammals two the separation of an anterior lobe by a transverse fissure such a lobe is not for example to be seen in the brain of dolichotus nor is it of course to be seen in the lysencephalus koala etc judging from gervis's figures this lobe was particularly conspicuous in the extinct thylacolio m gervis's observations upon the cast of the brain of this latter marsupial are of particular interest in relation to a well-known controversy i may remark however that the brain of thylacolio appears to have differed from those of the wombat and kangaroo no less than from that of the thylacine by the outward direction of the longitudinal furrow dividing the anterior lobe however in halmaturus benetti the furrows in question are intermediate between the two extremes being straight it appears to me that halmaturus and hypsoprimnus come much nearer to thylacolio than the wombat does in the form of their cerebral convolutions m gervis himself considers that the wombat is the closest ally of tholocolio in these points of structure three 
in common with many other lower animals the lobus hippocampi is not marked by furrows and is not covered by an extension downwards of the pallium finally of course there are the important differences in the commissures with the exception of the sylvian fissure and the sulcus which divides off the anterior lobe of the brain and the rhinal furrow it seems to me to be very difficult to compare the furrows and convolutions of thylacinus with those of the diprotodont marsupials the sylvian fissure is directed at first slightly forwards and then bends back in the kangaroo and wallaby it is directed backwards and apparently also in the koala the fissure which separates the anterior lobe of the cerebellum is directed forwards in the thylacine but is nearly vertical in the kangaroo and wallaby though with a decidedly forward inclination i do not feel able at present to identify any of the remaining fissures of the thylacine's brain with those of the kangaroo with regards to the other viscera i have not much to add to professor cunningham's excellent account i may remark however that one of the papillary muscles connected with the right auriculoventricular valve is attached to the free wall of the ventricle i call attention to this point since mr hatchett jackson has particularly mentioned as a characteristic of the marsupials that all these muscles arise from the septal part of the ventricular wall i have preserved a record of the number and arrangement of the papillary muscles in order to compare them with those of other marsupials i do not however think that a description would serve much purpose until i am in the position to describe a large series of specimens the variation in these muscles from individual to individual needs to be first discounted end of the brain of the male thylacine from the paper on the pouch and brain of the male thylacine by frank e bedford m a prosector to the society recording by son of the exiles